Well, the day after the announced takeover in Switzerland and bank stocks, in fact, equities generally seem to be doing rather well. So, is everyone convinced contagion is controlled? What about the regional banks in the US? If they get bought out, is that just a bit of collateral damage? Or is there more to come? And if equity markets are seemingly more buoyant today, what about central banks? Maybe they'll knock equities down a peg or two if they turn hawkish again. It's Tuesday, the 21st of March, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, first off, let's look at bond yields, mainly rising. Ten-year Treasury is up seven basis points, two years up 14 basis points now, uh, getting back over 4% for a spell. German and UK 10-year bonds or bonds, take your pick, uh, up two basis points. Aussie 10 years, uh, they, they fell 15 basis points yesterday, down to 3.23%. They've climbed just six points basis points on futures overnight since then. Uh, the US dollar down 0.4% on the DXY, but up 0.3% on the Swiss franc. The winners overnight, the pound up 0.8%, the euro up half a percent. Even the Aussie dollar has managed to evade any risk-off sentiment rising 0.3%. That is perhaps because equities are having such a positive session in the United States overnight. Uh, the markets have just closed. The Dow is up 1.2%, a 0.9% rise for the S&P 500, and 0.4% for the Nasdaq. Financials were up 0.9%. Uh, the only patch of red really on the US share markets came from consumer discretion but then only just and not for long. Actually, uh, software and services is down quite a bit as well right now. In Europe, a 1.3% rise in the Eurostox 50 and the CAC 40, a 1.1% rise in the DAX and 0.9% for the FTSE 100. Uh, but banking stocks were pretty shaky, but finished off reasonably well. Oil uh, falling, though, but then back up again. Uh, a big switch around, WTI and Brent, both at 1.1%. Brent now just over 73.75 a barrel. It did get down to almost $70 a barrel, hitting its lowest level since 2021, but bounced back fairly sharply from that. So we have satisfaction with the uh, Credit Suisse deal, it seems. Let's kick off on that with NAB's Taylor Nugent in Melbourne. Uh, it's as though the only indicator... Of the news from over the weekend, if you look at the market moves today, is the fact that we saw this big drop in the Credit Suisse share price. Uh, and uh, but interestingly, a small move upwards for the UBS share price by the end of the session. But I mean, they were down 16% at one stage, but in the, in the green now. So between those two parties, I mean, it's fair to say nobody is ecstatically happy about this, are they? But maybe, the, I mean, the broader market, obviously just happy that it has been sorted out, I guess. Good morning, Phil. Yes, those, um, you know, concerns in the in the banking system and whether regulators have, have done enough to kind of stem the tide of, of uncertainty there with the with the um, interventions that they've put in place certainly still, still dominating. And we saw kind of, you know, a fairly volatile um, session again and some fairly wide ranges for... For rates markets, but kind of as as you said there, kind of all in all, equities were were higher. And after after earlier um, earlier losses across kind of European banking shares at, at the open, they did kind of pair losses or move into positive territory through the day. So UBS there, you mentioned down as much as as sixteen percent at one point, which would have been a, a bit of a concern to to regulators, I'm sure. But ending up in the in the green on on the day is kind of you know that. Um, Investors kind of sifted through the detail, and some of those kind of concerns shifted a, l a little bit into the into the background for today, at least, and, and shifting that focus back towards the US. But I mean, one point three percent—it's not a massive amount of money for what you you know would be a sort of a win, supposedly from a fire sale. 
um you know so it it just shows it's not it's not a win win is it it's uh it's a you know as people were saying yesterday a bit, a bit of a, a marriage of inconvenience but i mean not one that anyone's particularly happy with uh, particularly those people who'd invested in the uh, additional tier 1 bonds the 81 bonds which are bonds that are as i understand it you'll know more about this than i do uh in times of trouble they get converted into equity so they're high risk bonds they don't have this the you know the security that you get in ordinary bonds and this time absolutely no security because 17 billion dollars worth of them uh, basically written down to zero so those investors won't get anything yeah so that's certainly um capturing a, a, a lot of focus and coming as as a bit of a surprise that um that 17 billion dollars of of additional tier one um notes for credit swiss were wiped out while equity holders did still get get something even even if um not quite what equity um equities were trading at before this deal um and so those those um that tier of of debt was you know it is designed to be to be kind of more loss absorbing i guess the surprise here was that it came even though equity holders still did get something and that you know, caused a came as a, a bit of a surprise to a lot of people in the market, expecting that you know the, that kind of usual order of, of equity holders being wiped out first before before bondholders would would prevail again. And so, you know, as as investors kind of you know sorted out the implications for that kind of asset class more broadly, there was some some fairly big reactions. We saw kind of AT one. Prices for for kind of newly issued AT1 bonds at other European banks down in the order of kind of five to fifteen percent on the back of that as kind of a bit of a, a reevaluation of of what yeah. they're worth. But you know, I've seen a, a few analysts out there pointing out that this could be kind of a, a peculiarly Swiss issue um, and may not have kind of broader implications for um, for that asset class more broadly. Although it certainly adds adds uncertainty there, and we did have both European and and British authorities out kind of clarifying their treatment as well with the um the European authorities um mm. saying that their um their approach would be that um common equity holders would would res- um wear losses first and it would only be um, after that, that the, the AT one would be right. would be written down. So the natural order of things, oh, because there, I mean, there's 275 billion. Well, I mean, as you say, down down quite a bit now, but there were 275 billion uh, AT one bonds out there apparently. So look, the volatility overnight. I mean, it has been in bond markets. Equity markets have been pretty much up all session, but bond markets. I mean, we saw yields falling quite a bit before picking up. So ten year yields had a day range in the US uh, for Treasuries about 22 basis points and then finishing up about six basis points. So quite a fall earlier in the session. I guess that is, I mean, people, there's still a lot of assessment of what this deal means, I guess, but also how uh, central banks are going to read it. I mean, if you, if you, you know, there's a, an air of positivity as though perhaps, you know, we'll see central banks starting to be a bit more hawkish again. Perhaps. Yeah, certainly a, another day of, of big ranges across across rates markets. Um, the, the two-year rate there having kind of a near 40 basis point range down as much as 22 basis points coming into the, the yeah. early European session, but but then um, recovering back back higher to be to be up fairly sizably on the day as well and just kind of, you know, goes to those points that you spoke about with kind of these banking concerns really dominating that can kind of swing the the path of for um, for central banks quite quite wildly as as those kind of developments are assessed and then also kind of influencing market conditions as well, kind of, you know, adding to the size of the moves that we're seeing. Um, but, you know, looking looking on the day, we've got kind of 
um, you know, yields a little bit higher and, and kind of, you know, potentially these kind of banking fears moving back into the background again for now, giving policymakers a, a little bit more space um, to to kind of retain focus on that, that inflation objective and kind of continue um, continue moving rates higher. Um, and we did see kind of a little bit of a nod to that in in Fed pricing as well, looking towards later in this week with um, the March meeting now up to, to 70% chance of a 25 basis point hike priced from, from 60 basis points yesterday. And some of those cuts taken out in the back end as well, there was still around 80 basis points of, of cuts after a May peak price into this year. Right. Okay, we've still got the uh, regional bank problem to try and uh, fix as well, of course. So Janet Yellen was saying on CNBC uh, towards the end of last week, or maybe it was just the beginning of the weekend, uh, saying that the government would only backstop larger banks, the ones that pose systematic risks to the financial system. So you'd think that sort of talk is going <laughs> would finish off the regional banks, wouldn't you? I mean, I'd be getting my money out. Uh, but, uh, but, I mean, they're hanging on there, uh, and, you know, hopefully larger banks are going to step in to save them. I mean, we, we are obviously going to see consolidation in the banking sector, but maybe that's, that's what markets will be happy to see right now. Yeah, so it certainly looks like kind of investors were, were distinguishing amongst the kind of that kind of regional bank, banking block um, um, over the last 24 hours or so. We did see um, First Republic Bank um, in, in the spotlight once again. That fell um, close to 30%. Um, and there was a, a Wall Street Journal report that um, JP Morgan um, was kind of leading talks among other lenders to kind of, you know, for another, another package to shore up. Um, that that bank, mm. um, although kind of more broadly, um, we did have the the um, FT reporting a, a U.S. official saying that bank deposits in the U.S. had stabilized and that outflows from the most vulnerable institutions were were slowing, stopping, and in some cases reversing. That that got some attention and kind of more broadly looking across U.S. bank equity prices, kind of you know forty four or forty eight of the regional banks tracked in the the KBW um, bank index were were in positive territory on the day. And so it doesn't seem to be kind of broad based, although, you know, focus still on on the troubles at First Republic Bank, certainly. Yeah, but it is a lot calmer, isn't it? Which is it always gives you that uneasy feeling. Is it? Is it the calm before uh, it all hits off again? But, you know, on the other side today, we've got falling oil. I mean, oil is very low now. As I said in the introduction, you know, one sector that's taken a hit in equities is consumer discretionary. I mean, that all sounds like recession fears, doesn't it? So, I mean, is the, you know, could we have a recession that's being brought about by banks rather than by further interest rate hikes? I mean, is that... You know, where are we going with that with that talk? The you know, the big recession fear that might slow down the, the path of hikes by central banks? Yeah, I think I think that's kind of a, a really important question and it kind of speaks to the the framing that Christine Lagarde especially recently has been out trying to trying to draw that kind of these financial stability concerns in and of themselves shouldn't um, shouldn't prevent banks from from continuing to move their policy rates higher in pursuit of that that price stability objective and and she repeated in front of the U- European Parliament overnight that kind of message after the ECB meeting last week that um, she doesn't see a trade off between price stability and, and financial stability and, and pointing out that kind of there were two sets of tools there the the policy rate to to target price stability and then liquidity support and, and other interventions on that financial stability side. Um, but you know that's probably not not quite that separable, and the, and the channel that this really feeds back through into into potentially a lower path of, of hikes than than otherwise is 
is through that that credit channel. And if if what what's happening in the banking system does kind of weigh on on credit provision and and lead to to tighter lending standards, then that does that does weigh on growth and that does support kind of a, a more shallow path than mm. than otherwise from from the central bank yeah. on the policy rate, even if it isn't directly on those financial stability concerns. And so, you know, in terms of those those you know concerns about recession risk, it's just kind of you know that that uncertainty about how rapid and how large that adjustment is to to financial conditions more broadly is is probably a, a key factor there. Plus, those who've got Got lots of money, got savings in banks, you know, that added to that during COVID. Uh, if they've got a little less confidence, they may have a little less spending. So a little less spending at the sort of at the top end of the income spectrum, um, that could slow the economy down just enough as well to, to satisfy central banks. I mean, there could be all sorts of uh, repercussions, positive repercussions perhaps out of this as far as central banks are concerned. But we don't have to worry about banks in Australia, do we? That was the message from Christopher Kent from the RBA yesterday morning. They are well capitalised with their, with strong liquidity positions no problem in Australia is basically what you were saying. Yeah. So, yeah, um, Assistant Governor um, Chris Kent did speak yesterday. His speech was titled Long and Variable Monetary Policy Lags. So so a fairly timely um, talk in the Australian context mm. um, as well. And, and you know, that that was a, a, a clear message in, in, in his view. And certainly, you know, this wasn't wasn't his key focus in the speech but certainly in in the Q&A as well he didn't he didn't seem overly concerned about what's happening in in kind of banking markets offshore for Australia yeah. that comment that you pointed to there he also you know, went, was at pains when asked about what influence this would have to kind of, you know, put what's happening in context. He said, what we're talking about here is a few institutions that were poorly managed um, and that while there were some yeah. kind of extra stresses and volatility, um, he did say that um, a lot of those changes are, are more modest in Australia than, than offshore, given the strength of, of Australian banks that he highlighted in his speech. Um, and in terms of, you know, what it means for, for April with, you know, Governor Lowe saying that he had an, an open mind of, of um, what the April decision would be um, for the RBA, Chris Kent did say it's, it's just one of many things the board will be taking into account when it makes its decision next month. So, you know, it's, it, it is a factor. We shouldn't be discounting it completely in, in the RBA's calculus, but, you know, they're their, their focus is is broader than just those developments, and they do have the luxury of, of another two weeks to to watch things develop as well. Yeah, and his his talk was about lags in monetary policy, wasn't he? And I think his his key point was that, uh, particularly in Australia, you know, we've got a lot of fixed rate mortgages, a lot of savings amassed during the pandemic. So why we're not seeing inflation coming down faster? It's because of the lags created by those two effects. But we'll, we'll see the RBA minutes as well today, won't we? From the uh, from the latest meeting, which of course is when they turned a bit more dovish with that 25 basis point rate rise. So, um, uh, you know, will, will that give us much to look at today? I, mean, I feel like it's a long time ago, <laughs> those, those, that last meeting. A lot's gone on, gone on since then. I, I think that's that's probably right in, in terms of the minutes. Certainly, I think they will read as, as somewhat of a, a historical document. You know, there may be, be some mm. interest in, again, you know, the, the minutes is where the RBA has been revealing that kind of menu of options that it, it did consider. Um, and you know, zero was was introduced as as a as an option in in the December minutes. It was then taken out in that kind of more hawkish um, pivot in in February. So I guess there'll be there'll be some interest there of whether you know a pause was back on that menu of options up for debate um, in in March, um, and also whether. 50 basis points um, remains in in that list as well. Was if 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 50 basis points, you know, 
was again considered, even if if twenty five basis points won won the day fairly compellingly, it probably does suggest you know add weight to the RBA's judgment that there there probably is a little bit more to do. Um, and then just on um, you know on that that point you drew out before about kind of the RBA continuing to to be concerned about um, the the longer lags than we've seen in in um, previous tightening cycles because of that higher fixed rate share. Um, one stat that um, Chris Kent did did point out was that only forty five percent of the rise in in the cash rate that we've seen to date had been passed through to mortgage payments by the end of twenty twenty two, and so. You know, there's another another 1.5 percentage points um, to come of of disposable income um, to be redirected in, into mortgage payments, even even at the current cash rate. And so, just highlighting that that those lags are are still there, um, although that was that was known to the RBA when it when it did say that you know its judgment is is that there's more to do, even if the the time for a pause is is closer. Yeah, I've still got four years to go on my uh, my fixed mortgage, so I'm hoping it's all over by then because uh, I got a good deal. Uh, so today, the New Zealand trade balance, uh, Canada's CPI, that's probably the key number today, isn't it? Other than looking at what happens with banks, etc. Uh, but that is expected to fall. I mean, let Let's hope so. I mean, it was 5.9% as the headline number last month, year on year. And of course, they have risen their rates a, a, a great deal. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what that, what that number does today. Yeah, that, that's right. Canadian CPI has, you know, over the last kind of six months or so, it has been comparing fairly favourably across countries and, and expected to, to mm. fall again. The year-ended rate expected to fall to, to 5.4% from, from 59 um, and those kind of closely watched core measures as well, also expected to to tick lower in a in a year ended sense um, on a on a monthly gain of around 0.3 percent month on month. So you know, similar to what has come through in in recent months in in Canada, and while you know a little bit above where they would like to see it, certainly continuing to to compare. Um, relatively favourably compared to the kind of stickier inflation um, seen elsewhere if if those forecasts do come through. All right, we'll see what the day brings. Good to talk, Taylor. Catch you again next time. Thanks very much, Phil. Surprisingly calm, isn't it? Uh, But don't hold your breath. We'll be back again tomorrow morning for another edition of The Morning Call. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'll see you then.